If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that all Scripture is breathed out by You, Father, and is profitable for our teaching, profitable for our reproof, profitable for our correction, and profitable for training in righteousness, so that we may be competent, equipped for every good work. Father, be pleased now to open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word, that we may, through your word and by your spirit, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Have you noticed how weather forecasts these days are getting more and more accurate, increasing accuracy? I was, in fact, sitting with a friend uh, the other evening at a high school football game, and he's got a uh, weather app on his phone, I believe, called Dark Sky, and it could predict almost to the minute when precipitation would begin in a certain location. Um, One of our uh, local TV stations prides itself as having weather forecasts rated the most accurate in Cincinnati. Another station calls itself, of all things, the Weather Authority. Now, what do we do with these weather forecasts, these predictions of what the weather will be like now, an hour from now, later today, tomorrow, next week? Well, I would say that for the most part... What we do is we believe them, we trust them, and we take action in response to them. Well, in our text today, we have a um, prediction, a forecast of sorts. However, unlike a weather forecast that most people are eager to talk about. Have you noticed that? I mean... If you need to strike up a conversation with people you don't know, start talking about the weather and everybody jumps in. Well, what we have in our text is not a forecast of the weather. It's rather a forecast of something that most people usually don't like to discuss. They don't want to talk about. Well, what is that subject? The subject is death. And the world has two basic strategies that it uses to deal with the subject of death. Uh, People deal with death either by denying it or or becoming sentimental about it. They, they, They reject it or instead they joke about it. But here in our text, the subject is not our death, which of course the Bible in many places helps us to face our own death. But here, the subject is not our death. Rather, Jesus is going to be talking about his death. Here we are in Jesus, according to the Bible, an exposition of the Gospel of Mark. It continues to surprise me, although it shouldn't, of the widespread ignorance and confusion that people have as to the identity of Jesus. And so that's one of the reasons we've been spending these weeks in Mark's gospel, this shorter, 
this shortest catechism where the three basic questions of who is Jesus, what did Jesus come to do, and how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus are both asked and answered. And we've seen already in Mark's gospel in chapter 8 this pivotal moment. And when we say pivotal, it really does pivot there at the confession of faith. When Peter, representing all of the disciples, say, you are the Christ. And then Jesus shortly brings up the call of discipleship. The call to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses and follow him. As I said last week, and I'll say this week, here in chapter 8, you have, as it were, what we are to believe about who Jesus is and what we are to do in response to Jesus' call. It's a confession of faith and the call of discipleship. Well, last week in verses 28 through 31, we saw a glorious promise and a solemn warning. But today we come to Jesus' third foretelling or prediction of his death. We've already seen this in chapter 8 and chapter 9, and here it is again in chapter 10. And children, when you see repetition like this, it's not by accident, it's by design. It's meant to grab our attention, to highlight it, to say in no uncertain terms, this is important. And as we will see, there almost can be no more valuable teaching than what we have today. Jesus has already made it plain that he is going to die and rise again. And yet, as we saw in Mark 9, they didn't yet understand what he meant. However, So far, Jesus has not indicated the purpose of his death and resurrection. And here, beginning in chapter 8, verse 32, begins a new section that will begin to explain the purpose of his death, and particularly against the Old Testament background. After the confession of faith, there is that call of discipleship. And we've seen thus far that the call of of discipleship leads to a way that is shaped by the cross. It is a way of humble servanthood. And to refuse to go this way is to refuse to follow Jesus. And to refuse to follow Jesus is to fail to enter the kingdom of God, as we've seen thus far in chapters 8, 9, and now chapter 10. Join me as I read verses 32 through 34 of Mark chapter 10. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he, that would be Jesus, began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Well, in these three verses, we're going to find ourselves walking on the road with Jesus learning in the classroom with Jesus, 
and heading to the cross with Jesus. First, we find ourselves walking on the road with Jesus. Notice this description. Jesus is walking ahead of them. It's not a casual conversation of somebody leading and another leading. No, Jesus is out ahead. He's in front. He's on a mission. Yesterday I was on a mission to head up I-71 and on the way I saw one of those new billboards that you know, if you pay attention, it, it disappears and another billboard comes up, one of those electronic. And it said, WLWT5, leading the way. Here, Jesus is leading the way and he's taking a great crowd with him to Jerusalem. And there's echoes here of Isaiah 50 and other passages that, that talk about the Messiah to come leading his people. I grew up in North Carolina, and there was a familiar um, uh, voice that uh, was on the radio and on TV, Charles Kuralt, who who had a program on CBS called On the Road with Charles Kuralt. Well, Kuralt sought out unique, interesting people. And he would interview them, and he would add some life, as it were, to the usual news. Well, here, there are people on the road with Jesus. And Jesus has been seeking out others to join him on a road trip. A road trip that is going south, and a road trip that is going up in elevation to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem, it's the center of Jewish religious and cultural life. And this is the first time that we will see that Jesus mentions the destination of Jerusalem. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's walking out ahead of them. And we read that his disciples are amazed and others who are following are afraid. The disciples, unlike the rich young man that we saw a week or two ago, they didn't walk away from Jesus. They are walking with Jesus. And they continue to be amazed and astonished. Why? Could it be that they sense his commitment? His commitment required their commitment? They all know now with this trip to Jerusalem that they are headed into enemy territory, as it were. There's already been conflict with the religious leaders that we've seen thus far in Mark. And now, are you kidding? We're going to Jerusalem? Conflict is not going to be avoided there, Jesus. It's going to be escalated there. They observe that Jesus is on a mission. The mission of the Messiah. And they, they observe the manner of the Messiah. Setting his face, as we read in Scripture, like a flint toward Jerusalem. As we will read later in Hebrews, who Jesus, for the joy set before him, 
because he knows what awaits him in Jerusalem. Now, in seeing this scene of disciples and others following Jesus on the road with Jesus, the question continues to be asked, who is Jesus? Remember back in Mark chapter 4, the storm at sea, the disciples were initially afraid of the storm, and as a result of Jesus' miracle working power, they became afraid of Jesus and said, who is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is Jesus? People are amazed. Others are afraid. I remember years ago reading a devotional that took this verse and asked the question, do we really know Jesus? Is he someone who though comes alongside us and does for us what we could never do for ourselves and exhibits compassion and mercy. Do we know the Jesus that is out front at a pace that we can hardly keep up? Do we know that Jesus? Are we both aware of his compassion but also aware of his glorious power and might on the road with Jesus. Well, not only do we have a scene here of being on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus, we also have a scene of being in the classroom with Jesus. Well, what is Jesus teaching? Well, let's find out as we find ourselves learning in the classroom with Jesus. Because here we see where Jesus takes His 12 disciples, as it were, aside once again in order to teach them. And it's lecture number three on the same subject, his suffering and death. Earlier in chapter 8, verse 31, we read this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. And he mentions his suffering and his death again the second time in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, where we read, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Well, here in chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, it's not just a repetition, but what we see is a significant additions. Because not only does Mark, the narrator, mention that they're headed to Jerusalem, Jesus himself declares he is headed to Jerusalem. Did you notice when Jesus says, the Son of Man, once again, Jesus' favorite designation of himself, It says, he will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. Don't move by that too fast. Jesus will be delivered over. Jesus will be betrayed. Jesus will be handed over. By the political leaders? No. By the religious leaders? No. Who will deliver Jesus over? 
none other than one of his own disciples, betrayed by Judas. Jesus is saying in so many words here that, friends, the mission is going to end in what looks like disaster. As I'm reading this and studying this and praying through this, I'm thinking to myself, if I hear this kind of words, I'm going to look for the exit. How do I get off this road? Unless, unless as we thought about last week, unless it was for the sake of the call. No other reason at all simply devoted to following Jesus because it is Jesus in all of his authority who is called and if we believe, we'll obey, as the song says. Who is delivered over to who? Well, here we have the two main actors, the Jews and the Gentiles. We'll see the chief priest and the scribes, as we've heard earlier, and they will do two things. We read at the end, at the middle of verse 33, and they will condemn him to death. My friends, this is the language of a courtroom. This is judicial language. Jesus will be condemned to death. And those of you that are familiar with the Old Testament and Jewish teaching, you will see that there were certain things that required death. Jesus here will be going, as it were, before a court and condemned. There's going to be a judicial process, but as we know from reading the end of the story, it was trumped up charges and it was a mockery of a judicial trial. But nonetheless, Jesus will be condemned. Now, I would think that all of us would, would say this is shocking, but more shocking than that is that they will deliver him over to the Gentiles. Jesus will not just be condemned by their own religious court. They, he, they will hand him over to the Gentiles. My friends, absolutely shocking. The Messiah that the Jews expected and that Jesus, to be sure, is, would never be handed over to the Gentiles. Are you kidding? Never be handed over to the Roman authorities. If anything, he was going to be the one to lead them out of the Roman rule. He is going to be turned over and delivered to the Gentiles. And those of you that are familiar with the relationships between Jew and Gentile and how they fed, felt about one another, it really cannot be more shocking than this. It is a complete rejection. Jesus is saying, I am going to be completely rejected by my own people. And what will the Gentiles, in particular the Romans, do once they have Jesus? He's already been condemned. He's been turned over. And we read language that says this, And they will mock him and spit on him 
and flog him and kill him. The word crucifixion does not in, is not in this account. It is in the earlier account. But of course, the Roman favorite instrument of death at that time for criminals was the cross. Jesus will die as if he was a sinner from the Jewish standpoint. And he will die and be put to death as if he was a criminal from the viewpoint of the Gentiles and the Romans. More specific detail. And kids, whenever you're reading something and the author is including more detail, you have to ask yourself, why? Why is this happening? And almost a footnote. Almost an oh, by the way, the end of verse 34. And after three days, he will rise. You wonder if they even could hear that because of the shock, the utter incomprehensibility of what Jesus was saying. Well, what is the lesson Jesus is teaching and his disciples should be learning here? Well, one is this. His death, there is a universal responsibility condemned by the Jews and executed by the Romans. That's what Peter says in the sermon that we read in Acts 2, and that's what we even hear in the prayer in Acts 4. Mankind is responsible, Jew and Gentile. But more than that, his death is neither accidental nor incidental to his mission. Rather, it was planned and is absolutely central to both his identity and his purpose on earth. Why did Jesus come? We read and confess in the Nicene Creed for us and our salvation. And what did that require? His death. And the way that we see Jesus on the road and the way that we see Jesus in the classroom, He and not the Jewish religious leaders and not the Roman authorities, Jesus is in control of the situation. In John's Gospel, Jesus makes it very clear that he's the one that has the authority to lay his life down. He's the one that will make it possible for him to be killed. All part of God's sovereign plan. God is in control. This is not happening by surprise. God's sovereign and wise plan is being carried out. What Jesus wants his disciples then and his disciples to know now that there is one destination on his journey. It's as if Jesus pulls up his global positioning system. It's as if he pulls up his smartphone and he pulls up the map application and he, 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 there's a current location, but he, he, he puts in Jerusalem. And then he presses route. And he's on the road to Jerusalem. One destination. He's headed to one place in particular. He's headed to his death. 
his death on a cross. And he wants his disciples to know that as they follow him, they are headed to his cross as well. And yet, as we know, as it gets closer and closer to the time, even those who had pledged loyalty and faithfulness to him abandon him. Headed, heading to the cross with Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus, he is saying, means hearing and responding to his call to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian killed toward the end of the Second World War in a concentration camp, wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, these words, When Christ calls a man... He bids him come and die. Going to the cross with Jesus is being a disciple of Jesus, understanding and embracing the cross. Nobody got it better later we read than the Apostle Paul who could say this in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see his identification with the crucifixion of Jesus? He also wrote in Philippians 3, this was Paul's prayer, this was his goal, this was his delight, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. But he continues, and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. My friends, Jesus, in taking this time with his disciples to talk about his death, and in Mark's arrangement showing this for the third time, he's wanting people to know that you're really not going to have your best life now. You're really not going to, on the way, become a better you. No, it is suffering before glory, death before life. It is the cross before the crown for Jesus as well as for all of those who hear the call to follow him. The disciples of Jesus were with him. In one of the gospel accounts, it says that Jesus um, chose these men and appointed them to be with him, to be with him. And the disciple of Jesus is someone who is with him. These three verses, for those of you that may have the English standard version, it says Jesus foretells his death a third time. Other translations may have a heading that says something like Jesus predicts his death for a third time. I've not yet seen Jesus forecast his death. It's a prediction, though, with a purpose. It's a prediction that is precise. And this precise prediction leads Jesus to continue to prepare himself and others for his death. Well, let me ask you all this question. What is your response to this forecast, to this prediction? 
First of all, do you believe it? Are you, are you trusting it? Are you responding to it? And if you are responding, how are you responding? What action are you taking? How are you preparing for your inevitable and un- unescapable death? See, my friends, the reason you and me and others don't want to talk about death because it's scary. We, we, Muhammad Ali, who just died earlier this year, said that the only thing he was scared of was death. Others have said that they, they're not afraid of death, they just don't want to be there when it happens. Jesus, in talking about his death, is preparing us also for our death. How are you preparing for that which is inescapable and unavoidable unless Jesus returns first. Why all this talk about suffering and death? Why not a positive message, you might ask? Why talk about death? Why talk about suffering? Because there's no hope for our salvation without his death. And what appears at first sight to be bad news, those of you that may know the rest of the story, it's ultimately made known as good news. Because it is a prediction of deliverance. Jesus will be delivered over to death. So that you and me and all who trust Him could be delivered from death. See, the author of the letter to the Hebrews got it right when he said this in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. That through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil... And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus starts his public ministry as we read in Mark 1, uh, verses 14 and 15, to say that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe In the gospel, turn from your sin and believe in the good news, the message, and believe in me, the man. Because you see, the gospel tells us that Jesus lived the life that we should live, fully obedient to God in every way, shape, or form, and he died the death that we should have died for the sins that we do commit. Jesus got the curse that we deserve so that you and I would get the blessing He deserved. My friends, Jesus is talking here about His suffering and death because Jesus knows that His death will be in the place of and on behalf of all of those who look not to themselves but only to Him 
as the one way to be in a right and reconciled relationship with God. My friends, rejoice in this prediction, in this forecast of deliverance. Believe it, trust it, and orient your life around it. So that the one who has gone ahead of you, who has indeed led the way, will be there to welcome you home. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have to repeat things several times for us to get it. And Father, even though we would like to not talk about death, here it is front and center in your word. Father, we thank you that it is actually a death that brings us life. It is someone who was rejected so that we could be accepted. Father, if that should not do anything but drive us to humility before you and confidence in you. Father, we thank you that we have a Savior and a Lord who is out ahead of us, who speaks truth to us and who does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Father, may we as your people grow in our understanding and appreciation of the death of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.